You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hello, Served Up friends. I'm thrilled to introduce you to Mai Moore, a social impact leader who shares her story from growing up mixed race by a single mother, a diverse community, and how that shaped her to become the disciplined and action-oriented leader she is today. Now sit back, grab a glass of Suntory whiskey, and get inspired. Hi, thank you for joining me today on Served Up. How are you? Hey, Julie, I am great. And thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Appreciate it so much. Well, my let's get right into it. I mean, I've only met you, God, I don't even know, a couple months ago, but I feel like we're soul sisters. (laughs) Like, I'm like, I just know you from a whole nother life. And, you know, but we've never really had a chance to like really learn about you. And I'm so excited that I have this opportunity to do that today on Served Up. So thank you. Thank you. My, um, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you've gotten to do some of the work you've done around DE&I today. Sure. Um, well, hello, everybody. Thanks for listening. My name is Mai Moore, and I am a social impact leader. And um, I'll give you a little bit of my background on a personal stance. Um, my, I am half Japanese, half white. Um, I have an 18 year old daughter. She's half Zambian quarter Japanese quarter white. Um, and what's really interesting is my mother is, um, a retired violinist from the Cleveland orchestra. And my father, um, is a cellist and I have history in Florida. I actually lived in Florida in eighth grade in Hollywood. And, mm-hmm. um, my father was in the Florida Philharmonic for 24 years there. And so there's a there's history because um, the Florida Philharmonic, if you're aware of it, folded. And then what happened is the Cleveland Orchestra came down and kind of took over and they're divorced. So, you know, there's some family drama there, but um, definitely have experience with Florida. It's an interesting state. (laughs) And um, yeah, and, and on the business side, I was in the tech industry for 16 years. I helped two companies go public, Travel Zoo and United Online. And then for the last nine years, I was um, co-founder and executive director to a a social impact nonprofit empowering youth. And so I was basically teaching them how to be change makers. How do you actually implement change, meaning social action, policy? Um, We did did a lot of work around a a variety of injustice areas. And uh, lately, um, for the last six months or so, I've been working on a couple of different projects. If you don't know, I am co-chair to the Young Chief Coalition through Chief Empowering Young Women. And then I am starting a new initiative called Setting Off Social Impact, um, which Julie is part of, um, but it includes actually a podcast 
and a book that I'm writing, and then these high level social impact uh, experiential dinners, which I'm super excited about. Wow, that's a lot of development since the last time we talked <laughs> on that last yes, project. I'm an action so, person. Wow, yes. So exciting. That's incredible. And so throughout your career, I mean, oh my God, with your connection with the, the Florida Philharmonic and your parents, like, tell me a little bit more about that. What was it like growing up in that type of environment with such musically talented parents? What was life like for you? Um, weird. Um, so I, <laughs> I, I, uh, just to give a little more lineage history there, my grandfather and grandmother were also an open oboist. So I've been in the, mm. you know, my family's been in the classical, uh, music industry for a quite a long time. Um, and I think it's a very different kind of growing up. It's a, it's definitely a different culture, especially when you are around artists. Um, they're very emotional. They're very dedicated to their work. It's very competitive. It's a very um, archaic industry, you know, going back thousands of years, obviously to Europe. Um, so I think it was different. I am grateful because I think, you know, hearing my, you know, mom, for example, practice, you know, eight hours a day, I think it really helped me be very like diligent and focused, to be honest. But, um, you know, there's a lot more to me. I mean, I really grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I grew up in a very diverse neighborhood. And so when I was growing up, it was really about who you are as a human versus the color of your skin. So I, I grew up with that kind of um, view on life. And I was very lucky that my mom, you know, had me travel literally around the world because the Cleveland Orchestra went on tour a lot. And so I got to tag along a couple of times. Um, so just really having experience with being around a lot of different, very diverse cultures. Um, and I also grew up in an environment which was predominantly African-American. And so a lot of black families actually took me into their home. Um, so also seeing the very complex and diverse um, uh, cultural ways of the black community also is part of my background as well. Wow, that's that is fascinating. You make such a great point. I mean, having parents come from that kind of background and then living in a diverse community, I, I'm sure could be uh, two very extreme different perspectives. What was that like for you growing up? I mean, you mentioned you're half Japanese, half white, because I think we have so much in common, very mm -hmm. similar, um, white and Korean, and also grew up in a very diverse community. Was your mom Asian or white or vice versa? My mother is very Japanese. Japanese. Um, she left home when she was 13 in Japan to become, you know, this assistant concert master. So very, oh my goodness. Yeah. Very rare. Um, Cause at that time, you know, Japanese women were homemakers. So mm -hmm. for her to not only leave home at age 13, but to be independent and, you know, actually focus on her career not, not the norm. Yeah. And then did she meet your father here in the U S no. yes. In the U S um, they met at Yale summer camp at a classical music camp. Oh, so very it, nice. Yeah. And my dad, just to give a little context, my mm -hmm. dad's side of the family is very American, like white mm -hmm. American, like all American, you know, baseball, you know, steak and potatoes growing up five boys, one girl. So I had a lot of different experiences in a lot of different ways uh, growing up. And what were which side of the country is 
your parent, your father's family from? They travel, uh, they moved a lot. So Chicago, um, Arizona. Midwest. Yeah, they were, he, you know, they went where the grand, my grandfather, where he had a job, um, playing oboe. So they moved around a lot. But my dad, like I said, my dad lived in Florida for 24 years. So my parents were, just to be clear, when I was growing up, my, my parents, um, divorced when I was in fourth grade. So you were being raised predominantly by your mother in, in Cleveland. Yes. Fantastic. Okay. Oh, so when you said that they got divorced, I thought you meant the, um, (laughs) the, the Florida Philharmonic and the Cleveland orchestra. Well, the Florida Philharmonic folded, um, but after they got divorced, it folded. So you can imagine like, you know, it's a, it was a big deal for Florida. You know, they were basically losing their main like orchestra. And, um, and then the Cleveland orchestra, you know, this is, this is capitalism. This is how politics work and stuff. So the Cleveland orchestra has a lot of power because they're, they're the, they're the, the best orchestra in the world. And so mm-hmm. they then, um, came down to, so they're, they come down to Florida, I think once or twice a year in Miami, they basically took over that market. And so, yeah. you know, in my, it's, it really has nothing to do with my parents, but you know how it's just ironic. Yeah. It's I ironic mean, was, and yes, you know how divorce was, goes. And mm-hmm. in my dad's eyes, he's like, Oh, your mom did that. And no, <laughs> she didn't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I understood those getting divorced. I didn't put together that your parents actually got divorced at that time as yeah. well. So, um, okay. Another similarity. I grew up with my single mother, but oh, wow. again, we want to learn more about you. So, yeah. um, what was that like then for you? I mean, do you feel mm-hmm. that growing up in that diverse environment, how did that kind of shape who you are and, and your identity as you were growing up? It's really everything about me. Um, that's a very big question. You know, in, in one way, it was kind of the norm for me. In another way, it and being mixed, this goes, you know, lends to being half Japanese, half white is you don't know exactly always where you belong um, because in Cleveland, there's not a lot of mixed kids. So you gravitate to where you feel comfortable or you're, where you're loved. Um, but it made me very open-minded, right? And it really, I, you, if you know about where I'm from, Cleveland Heights is the area, like I said, like we grew up, you know, in high school, we had fraternities and sororities and we had for example, a white prom king and a a black prom queen. And it was just so the norm for us. Like we looked at each other as as individuals, as humans versus like, Hey, there's that black guy over there, or there's that white girl over there. It was really about, you know, what are you into? Who are you? You know? um, And I'm really grateful for that upbringing. Um, And and it's too bad that that's not the norm. Let me put Mm -hmm. it that way. Yeah. And I think a lot of that just goes to what is the environment you're around, right? Mm -hmm. If it's homogenous, that's just how it's going to be. And, and I think, you know, I'm like you, I don't really know it any other way because, Mm -hmm. you know, growing up in Anchorage, Alaska, there's a little bit of everything, you know, so everybody's mixed, right? I mean, I think white is dominant, but it was, it was about 50, 50. It was, it's pretty mixed, but, um, moving. And even in Miami, it's, you know, Mm -hmm. it's pretty extreme in different ways, right? Mm -hmm. Because the Latin culture is predominant here and and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So then tell us about kind of your young adult life. Where did you kind of go from then? Which direction? I know you really got into the kind of the tech and corporate world. um, But 
what sure. happened prior. So going back a little bit, um, and especially since we're talking about Black History Month, I, I d- definitely want to mention, you know, when I mentioned being brought in by different Black families, I mean, mm-hmm. those experiences really stuck with me. And I had some really traumatic, you know, experiences, for example, with my ex, I had an ex uh, boyfriend that was African American. And so those really stuck with me. But I was always very focused on my education. And I was always very driven. If anybody knows me, I'm very driven. And so I knew I wanted to leave Cleveland. I wanted to go to New York City. My mom was like, nope, you're not going there. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Los Angeles. So I, 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 my undergrad in Los Angeles, and I actually majored in fashion marketing. Not a lot of people know that. And my one of my teachers, she recommended me to work with this celebrity stylist. His name was Philip Block. And so I quickly got experience in the entertainment industry, in the fashion industry, um, right out of college, which was very toxic. Um, I, I, I did that for like, maybe like eight months or a year. I want to remember. And thank God that's right. When like the dot-com boom was happening and immediately I got a, a job at this agency and really learned everything about like online, um, you know, the dot-com boom and tech industry and all that. So from there I stayed in tech, um, pretty much, um, until I did EYJ pretty much. Um, and I was, I'm very, very grateful for my experience there. I think it matches my personality because being Asian and just, I'm much more of like a fast paced, like action kind of person. And, you know, the tech industry moves very fast. It's you're continually innovating, you're continually problem solving. Um, you're continually having to be entrepreneurial and that's really in my nature. And so a lot of that, um, a lot of that experience is the basis of actually EYJ, which was, which made EYJ very unique in Cleveland with Cleveland having 27,000 nonprofits and being one of the most philanthropic cities in the country. And so that really helped with, with my yearning and love for social impact and social justice to really create change. Wow. That's, that's an incredible career that you went through. I mean, being able to kind of come back to something that you're super passionate about and, you know, tell us a little bit about your family and you mentioned your daughter early on Mm -hmm. and, um, and I believe she's going to school in New York. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm a little bit of a rebel. Yeah. No, she's in college. She's a freshman in New York city and she's thrive. She's doing amazing, but Let's see. My my background is when I was in college, I met my ex-husband and he is Zambian. My college in, in Los Angeles is called Woodbury University, and it was like 50 percent like international students. Um, and so, again, getting exposure with very diverse people. And so I met him there and um, obviously lived in Los Angeles together. We moved to New York City together. Um, had my daughter who's really, she's a really amazing kid, very unique. Um, she wants to go into internet or uh, become a diplomat and um, mm-hmm. help change the world. Go figure. <laughs> but um, yeah. And my, I was married for what, 12 years and my ex-husband passed away two years ago from COVID. Um, oh and goodness. so, I'm so yeah. Sorry oh no, thank you. And um, just having a kind of another type of experience with black culture because African, you know, culture is very different than American, African-American culture. So just Mm -hmm. yet again, having more experience, um, with, with diverse culture. And have 
you've been to Zambia or has she mm-hmm. been able to go back mm-hmm. and um, still have family there too? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. And her, his, um, her grand, her grandfather, my ex-husband's father, he actually passed away six months after my ex-husband. It was, that was not oh. a good year, but he is actually a really extraordinary uh, leader example. He literally came from the bush in Zambia. Um, oh. So like the countryside and he went to Boston university and then he went back to Zambia and he built so many businesses. Like he f- built the first indigenous um, bank there, invest trust bank. He built a Rose export company. He was part of the stock exchange there. Um, I mean, he literally was responsible for probably several thousand people. Um, but really an extraordinary story of like someone literally coming from, you know, dirt floors um, and, you know, whoever, I don't know if it was his parents that pushed him said, Hey, education's number one, you're going to the United States. That's a land of opportunity. And then for him to come back to his community to do all that is, is really amazing. Oh my goodness. That's incredible. That's, yeah. you know, that that history is there and that she still has connection to her family and, and that culture. I think it's so important. And it's, you know, in today's world, we are so international. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. that's another thing we have in common is my husband is from South Africa. So my, wow, we spend a lot know of that. time. Yes. We wow, spend a lot of time there. Yeah. yeah. And it's a big part of his life and his culture, you know, and, yeah. and when we're out there, we're out in the bush. Like that's where we Mm -hmm. spend time. And, and the African people are just the most amazing and beautiful people in the world. Just, I love it there. Um, obviously we can't move there for, um, even though I've been trying to convince him, we might as well at this point, right. You know, anywhere now, right. You know, but, um, well, when you just think of kind of the challenges that they have in like South Africa compared to the challenges we have in the U S I don't know that anymore that one's greater than another more rewarding you know right although i do think that if you're looking at the economy and and, you know future i think there is a lot of opportunity in africa um so we'll we'll see how that goes but yes very so we have we have family there and and whatnot so i know how important that is and and as we talk about kind of history and you know, culture and all the different kind of, you know, intersections you've had throughout your life, Mm -hmm. talking to other people that might not have had so many opportunities to engage or learn about other cultures. Why is it so important to kind of know somebody's story or even the history of a race or a culture in your opinion? I think I feel, I feel terrible. Like, um, for example, in EYJ, you know, I served, you know, 2000 underserved youth and not being able to travel. Um, I, I'll, I'll, I look at people and I'd be like, Hey, you're missing out. You're because when you connect with people on the human to human level, it's so inspiring. It's so neat. It's so fun. It's so uh, amazing, right. That people can have different, um, whatever rules or ways they do things or, you know, have special food dishes or, you know, different things that are different than maybe what you grew up with. And I think that's the beauty of life that we forget. (laughs) That is like really the reason why we're all here. And I, I, I do blame a little bit of 
capitalism with that. And, you know, I think a lot of people want people controlled and not to learn about people, right? Not to respect each other and to, instead of being um, put down for connecting with people or embracing someone else's culture or respecting someone else's culture or just respecting someone else's thought, you know, people are shut down or look like they're the bad person when in fact, isn't that why we're here on earth? I mean, like it's to me, it's common sense, right? Mm -hmm. It's the beauty of the world. Mm -hmm. And, and we forget that we forget that, that we are, we are humans. (laughs) Like, I think, you know, we all have a story. We right? all have and a then story. there's the combined story, but yes. there's the individual story as well. Yes. And the funny thing is, is that what I've learned about, you know, I've worked with literally billionaires to returning citizens on the street is that the, I think the number one key thing that I've learned is that we can all relate in some way. Mm-hmm. And I think people don't realize that, but we, but we all you know, have desires or passions for life or have families or have, like you said, you know, things we're dealing difficulties or adversities that we've experienced. And so the more that we can be authentic and, you know, share those things in a transparent way, not only does it allow us to connect, but it allows us to relate or learn from someone or know that we're not alone, you know? So I really... I wish that for everybody to go back to your original question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's so true, you know, and I think we, we stop, we fled and, you know, you're, you're making me think that maybe we overthink everything. Right. And, and we're overthinking like, okay, what we're exactly so scared happened and what's, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what do we need to know? And all this stuff, instead of just kind of getting back to just human nature, yes. right. We're yeah. human. Who are you? Where are you from? You know, what does your day look like? What do you like to eat? What's your favorite color? Yes. (laughs) Remember all the questions you used to ask, like the boy that you like, right? When you're in elementary school, I want to know everything about you. Yeah. No, it's really true. Um, And I really, I really blame again a lot of this on capitalism. I, I, I also blame. You know, a lot of us are really trying to either survive or, or reach our, our goals. And a lot of us are very scared. Um, we're scared to be open. We're scared to be vulnerable. We're scared to talk to somebody that is not in our circle or that, you know, we are not sure of. And I've always been very different that way. I'm, I'm, I don't know if it's right or wrong or good or bad, but I've just been fearless. Like who are, you know, who are you? Like, I'm, I'm curious about you. Also, if you go into like, for example, the Caribbean countries, they're very open like that. You know, you meet somebody, you give them a hug and then you just start chatting. Whereas in Cleveland, like say you were going to go to a bar, people don't, will not speak to each other, right? Mm -hmm. They, you know, say someone's sitting, you know, stool down and you just want to chat or something with, you know, just for a chat. People are like, nope, don't know you. You're you're not in my circle. Can't Mm -hmm. talk to you. So for me, it's that open-mindedness that is so important, mm-hmm. especially in this new world. We have yeah. to be open. Yeah. And, and then I think you even said earlier is, is be curious, right? Mm-hmm. Be curious. Um, and with curiosity comes, you know, learning and 
it is wonderful to get to know people and talk to people at the bar and and have those conversations. But mm-hmm. there are some parts where it's not so like that, right? It is part of the culture to be a little bit more reserved and mm-hmm. not open up. And, you know, I guess that's okay too. I think it's it's really about maybe taking that time to learn about other cultures, other races, and, right. you know, what history is, right? Like what is American history? And the more that it's reduced to very basic information, right? And doesn't include the rich histories of all the different races Truth. that made Alaska, mm-hmm. or sorry, Alaska, that made America what it is. Alaska too. <laughs> and Alaska, and Alaska, mm-hmm. right? We, you know, a lot of native history there. I mean, there's so mm-hmm. much history everywhere. And, you know, when you peel all that off, you know, what it what's left, right? It's it's very, it's kind of like I was thinking about it before we were gonna talk, is it's kind of like meeting somebody, like me asking, you know, my what's your story and meeting somebody and they're only telling you one part of it. Mm-hmm. Right. And and they're never going to show you any other part than one part, you know, right. and and how authentic of a relationship can you really build from that? Well, there's a lot that you're saying right here. Um, so two points I wanted to make is one thing is the reason why some people are not open necessarily is because they don't have to be right. They're very protected by the system. They don't have to get to know other people. They have things lined up for them. It's working for them. Right. So why do you need to be open if you're comfortable and your things are working out? And it's for working you? for you. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I've learned, and I've learned this through EYEJ, um, especially with, you know, thousands of underserved youth who are facing toxic stress, you know, on a daily basis, and then trying to connect and communicate that to the bigger kind of community of all, of all types of people is that a lot of people cannot handle what some people would determine to be overwhelming information. Right. So like if I explained, you know, I had a sixth grader, he didn't want, he's a, he didn't want to come to school because they're testing and he reads at a third grade reading level. But meanwhile, he's worried more about getting the hundred dollars that his mom needs for the rent. But then he's also being recruited by gang. But he's also, you know, um, you know, has no shoes. This is a lot of information that certain segments of population don't comp- can't comprehend because their their line is very straight that they don't they may have one issue on a day, mm-hmm. but they don't have 13 issues every single day that they're dealing with. And so what I've learned is that in storytelling, unfortunately, which I don't always agree with, but you know, you hear all the experts say you have to simplify it down so that the, the, the audience can hear the message. And to me, sometimes that's frustrating because it's not the truth. Um, it's one, like you said, it's one segment of the truth, but it's not really, the person's not really being given the tan- chance to really share their story. Mm-hmm. It's tricky. And I don't know if it's because our minds haven't been developed that way. Um, I think with the pandemic and obviously all these things that have happened with these new Black Lives Matter issues and just all the catastrophes, you know, war and everything, 
I think it's helping us to be able to handle more information um, that is very extreme and not outside of the norm. But I think we've got to develop that more because we need to hear truth. We can't grow unless we hear the truth. Right. And I think it's happening in real time, right? Mm -hmm. Like history is literally happening in real time. I mean, Mm -hmm. every day with things happening that are just more brutal and horrible than the time before, you know, there's just so much going on. And then at the same time, there's more curiosity, more awareness, right? And with awareness, I feel like then change can happen. But if you're not talking about it, if you're not seeing it, you know, things just stay the same status quo. And, and I feel that that's not even a choice anymore. Nope. I mean, I don't even know where in the country, there might be a few places where you can be completely isolated, but Cleveland. Um, it's changing. It's changing, right? Changing. Yeah. It's you know, we don't have any choice but to change. Yep. So absolutely. So tell me a little bit about what's next for you and what are the current projects you're working on and what are you trying, you know, what are you hoping to solve for in this sure. next stage of your life? <laughs> well, I am in a, you know, I've been, I'm in a complete pivot. I mean, obviously I have a lot of change um, that has happened in my life and total freedom. Um, it's, you know, I'm 45 and just, it's not like I'm just planning out like one part of my life. It's like my whole life is like open right now. Of like, Oh my God, you know, it's, and it gets, it can be a little scary at times, but you know, ultimately I am definitely a leader here to continue to help build a more equitable and inclusive world. I I've really learned that about myself and I have a lot of stories and information and content to share. And I know that I'm an answer. And so, you know, I just simply, I want to help. I'm a giver. I want to help. And I know that I need to get this information out there. Um, So, you know, that story telling for all of us is really important. And like I mentioned, I'm going to definitely be doing a lot of that, you know, in my um, setting off social impact initiatives. but. I think where there's an opportunity, the good news is I do think that there's a lot of positive things happening and you see a lot of momentum, whether it's from young people or even, you know, chief members, you know, I've, I've found that chief members are quite open, you know, and curious and trying to learn. Um, so I'm really proud of that. And I'm really proud of the, the women front um, because we, we really need to band together um, for this new world. But what I really want to do is I want to have more authentic, um, intimate conversations that are fun, but really setting the stage. I think what I'm really good at setting the stage of like trust and realness and really having, uh, conversations between very diverse people to really get to the root of what are we really wanting to ask about DI? What are we really wanting to ask about racial justice? What are we really wanting to learn about, you know, for example, black men, because in the sphere right now, like we, we keep things surface level a lot of the times. And it's very frustrating for me because I'm a very like real person. And I feel like if we're just keeping things surface level of anything that might hurt us. So these social impact experiential dinners in New York are powerful. And, and I've done, you know, over a thousand, uh, whether facilitating through my team or 
you know, conducting them myself. Um, I've done a, over a thousand of these discussions between diverse adults and young people and whether like through my church or whatever. But the point is, is these, these powerful dinners will allow like vulnerability in a safe way for like, for example, a white woman that says, you know what, I know I need to do something. I really am compassionate and empathetic and I, I, I want to help, but I'm freaking lost. Like I, that's the kind of truth I want to hear, or I want to hear a black man that is at these, you know, at, at one of these dinners that doesn't have to really be scared or worried about protecting his reputation or that he's going to get pulled down to be able to say, listen, this is what I really deal with on a day-to-day basis. And these are the traumas that I'm facing and, and really connecting for greater understanding. Because when you create those kind of situations, magic happens, new ideas, better understanding, connecting love between people. And that is, that is like my favorite thing ever is just creating that magic, magic, like being a being a perpetuator, a, a builder, a setup person to create that magic so that these people can then move on in their lives to say, you know what, you know what, I'm actually at, at my company, we need to implement this because this is going to create actually better impact for whatever it is, DEI or whatever they're innovating or whatever. Oh, I, I love that, right? It's, it's having that experience and that connection to being like, oh, we're actually the same we're yes. human, right? Yes. It's, it's like humanizing and, you yes. know, rather than dehumanizing, yes. we need to focus on really humanizing. And I think that that's where it comes. And when you ha- hold that space, that really safe space with a group of people, I could just see the magic that, that will happen. Yes. So how, also- how great is that? Are these like super exclusive dinners or who can come or how does that work? I mean, I'm a person that says that anybody can come, but the price ticket in New York is not going to be cheap. I'm just going to be very honest. I mean, mm-hmm. we're looking at $500 a ticket and we are partnered with Beam Centauri. They're going to do some special you know, magic there. We're actually going to do a live broadcast of the podcast that I am launching at a Gary Vaynerchuk Studios, which is going to be amazing. Awesome. Yes. We'll have to look out for that. And what yes. is it called? Do we uh, have a name? Setting off social impact. Oh so, my God. Yes. And a portion of the dollars do go to a nonprofit. And I will be highlighting, featuring, you know, people that are related, high level people that are related to um, social impact and DEI. Um, and then as far as exclusivity, you know, the truth is, it's funny. Some I was just in a meeting this morning. I just, I do want to respect that intimate you know, kind of group setting. And so it'd probably be honestly between 15 to 25 people per, per band. And I'm only going to do probably three of these in New York. Cause I, I, I just, like I said, I just had a meeting this morning and Cleveland wants to do one. I had, I just had um, a request to do one in Raleigh and San Francisco. I'm not saying I'm going to do all those. Cause I honestly, my bandwidth is really tight, but I definitely am going to be doing the New York ones for sure. That's exciting. I'd love yes. to be. Um, yes, you have to be there. Julie. I will be at one. Where I was about to say, I'm going to be a wallflower. I'm like, yes. no, I'm going to be there. I mean, I am. You so- to prompt people, help prompt people. <laughs> yeah. That's wonderful. I am so proud. And this of you. is actually, just to be clear, this was actually Julie's brainchild, the, the dinners, just to be really, really clear. So she came, she was like, you should do this and this and this. And I was like, yes. 
I can yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I always like to take something amazing that you're already doing and add Aww. food and alcohol and then you're all set, <laughs> right? Like, hey, that's how what can you go wrong? Together. It just makes it even better. Exactly. And, and I know that you were going to, fo- well, when we had talked, you were going to focus on very specific restaurants and up and coming chefs and diverse mm-hmm. chefs and, and all that stuff. I don't know if you're still going that angle, but. It's going to be um, great. It's going to be wonderful. And it's going to be great alcohol. And yeah. Yes. And, and it, great conversation and great, great people. Right? And, and and inspiration. And mm-hmm. really, and the people will be great. We have, you know, again, I have some surprises up my sleeve. So it's it's just going to be a good time. We deserve it. We need to have joy. We need to have a good time. And but while also learning and growing. Yeah. And that's what I would say. I think we're doing a lot of having the good time and and being social, right? But you mentioned that earlier, but it's all very on a surface level. Yes. You know, and I think really being intentional about having meaningful time mm-hmm. with people where, like you said, once you start knowing them and those layers come off, it it does create magic. And I it think- does. You know, that's a lot of the experience I've had, especially with um, with our chief network specifically. Definitely, hundred um, percent is is we get right to that core. So, well, thank you so much, Mai, for sharing some time with us. You know, to share your story, we really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Julie. Thanks for listening. Served up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits, produced by Zunu Online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers!